Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today to talk about uh, the Thousands of Fall Thought, chapters 9 through 13. And as usual, we're here with Katerina and Daniel. Daniel, do you want to give us an introduction? Hi, I'm Daniel. I have read this Second Apocalypse series a couple times. So I'm trying to help Steve when he's super clueless and just add thoughts along the way. I'm super clueless all the time, so you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and Katerina? Uh, hi, I'm Katerina. Um, this is my second time reading the Prince of Nothing trilogy. Second time reading the Thousandfold Thought. Uh, so I'm more clueless than Daniel, hopefully less clueless than Steve, and uh, trying to fill in the gaps as well with the help of these two. <laughs> nice. Between the three of us, we'll figure this out, right? So the uh, this is my first time reading the Thousandfold Thought, and in chapter, you know, the first first few chapters of this book, it kind of felt like we weren't we weren't having answers to questions we've had throughout the whole series. And then all of a sudden, in these last few chapters, there's a couple of moments that is just a ton of information on like two pages. So we go for a little bit, kind of, I don't want to see meandering because it's still interesting. It's not boring, but don't feel like we're getting a lot of answers. And then all of a sudden we get a, like this, a truck full of information backs up and just dumps it on you in like two pages. So lots, lots of stuff, lots, lots to break down. And there's some stuff that I was a little bit confused about as usual. I think we've established that. So, uh, <laughs> Daniel, what did you think about these ones? About chapter, uh, chapter nine. There was a lot of information in this chapter and a lot of backstory too. Kind of. And we get them talking about like the keepers of the inverse fire and a little bit more about the Ark and the Inkarai. We see a little bit of motives of more people now. We see another example of how terrible war is and what happens if you resist the god who's winning, I guess. Uh, for me, what this chapter reminded me was actually the, um, I think it was part four of the darkness that comes before, when they're, when Kallus and Neor and Surway are being chased in the, in the mountain, no, not in the mountains, somewhere, they're being chased somewhere. I think they left the mountains. Um, and they're, they're fleeing across the the Nancy Empire, um, so it reminded me, me of that because also in 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 this part, Nayor is being hunted by the Nantor for a change, and this time and also this time he has Survey with him who is uh, you know worked on her uh, athletic skills a little bit, <laughs> and and in a way he has Kellis with him. Kellis is dead. That's true. One of the one of the skin spies does 
shapeshift into Moengas or into Kalos, we don't really know, uh, for at least a little bit, I think. I think it references someone seeing them and it's still being kind of like a Manister Lord looking guy with them that came after they killed a bunch of people. Mm. Yeah, there's a, the, what's the name of the general? The, the Sompus encounter. Yeah, Sompus. One of the skin spies impersonates Sompus and manages to uh, free Nior and help him escape from the camp. And no one, no one seems to think it's weird that a general alone is escorting a Scovendi uh, captive through the camp for some reason. Yeah, that kind of struck me a little bit too, because he's the way that he's described is kind of hard to miss. Kind of stands out. They did. I yeah. think he does tell him he has to leave before um, the sun comes up, and it's in the, it's in darkness. So, I, I guess. But I think the explanation they give is that Confus is so like unpredictable that no one like no one's really surprised at anything, any of his decisions, which seems to be turning against him. There's some, yeah, there's some comfort and predictability. Mm. And we do get a little bit more about the skin spice, too. I don't think it was this chapter, but it was, I think it was later in one of the other chapters, but that they're basically shells without souls. Uh, and then it does reference the architect or an, an architect of that they were able to produce skin spice with souls, but they haven't been able to re reproduce them, so they're like soulless shells. Oh, did I miss that part? Where did they talk about? They eventually I mean, get one, right? Yeah, they do have one alive. Ma and they, Nathanette, Nathanette comes and is like, oh, this one can do magic. It must, it means it has a soul. Right. And they weren't. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was very strange. It's like as you said, I, I I also thought that the skin spice were just empty shells that didn't have any soul or personality. Basically, like uh, I don't know, biological machines of sorts. Mm -hmm. Tools of, but the I, of I, lovers. I, yeah, I I missed the part where they say they they they're not able to. Um, reproduce them the the skin spice with this with with the soul let me find it i have um i have the note here somewhere i'll i'll, uh, I'll find it it was when Nathanette was talking to uh the mandate not sarah and i forgot which which mandate it was that was the oh okay it's on 265 on my my edition but um so it says we learned of of this one through the integrate through our interrogations of the others Mithanet said his voice processing a resonance that brushed aside the alarmed prattle it's an accident an anomaly an anomaly that thankfully its architects 
have been unable to recreate. And then later he goes on to say, Skin Spy with an ability to work sorcery, the Shura of the Thousand Temples said, grimacing with exertion, exertion a Skin Spy with the soul, um, and the, old grand, the grand old sorcerer realized he had known all along. Because it, I think they reference when they have souls, they can um, work magic. They can have some kind of power. Uh, yeah, it makes makes sense. I I misread it. The magic to Akamian and kind of trying to forgive his soul from damnation or giving him a way out by saying that. How did he describe it? The few can see the cracks together since they're all kind of oh, I knew this was going to be hard to explain. Yeah, I figured we'd have a few of these moments this week because it's yeah. lots of stuff. There were, there were a couple of passages that I had to read multiple times to at least partially grasp what Baker was trying to convey um, the all those ruminations about souls and who has a soul and what is a soul is there one soul are there many souls are sorcerers are the some souls closer to the gods than other there was a lot of uh, a lot of confusing stuff we are all God kind of goes back to what Akinian, when he taught him, like the inutterals, how you got to attach the meaning, right, to the words, because the words themselves don't really have that layer, and since they can attach meaning to the words, they see it differently, so they can, like, tell the people who see it differently. That's how they see the mark, I guess. Yeah, it, this is, is, and... it is quite confusing, but basically he's saying that sorcerers aren't like cursed. They're the mirror they see God through is less shattered, kind of. They're a, a bigger pinprick to the outside. He was referencing like Akamian poking a hole in a cloth, right? And mm -hmm. putting water on it. Sorcerers just, I don't know. It's too hard for me to explain. Uh, um, I think references, we are all one soul, we are all God. Uh, you are not alone. That's on page 215, when Kellis is talking to Akamian. Um, so yeah, that, that part was pretty, lot, lots of information there. Yeah, my, my question would be, since Kellis is the one saying that, is it actually true? Or is that just, is that just something he made up to... Uh, make Akamian feel better because in the moment he's talking to him, like, or like a few moments before Kella starts talking to him, 
the comments thinking about how alone he is and how he has no one and how he's damned and then Callus comes like oh you're you're one soul with a god all the people who've been really mean to you actually you are better than them because you're one of the few um you're not damned you're uh, like almost a saint or something close to that um am, am i what, like, what am i supposed to believe that's what makes it hard with these sections because I don't. I never know what's real and what's what Kellis is saying to manipulate and what's really fact in this world. Same. And like, how can he know? I mean, I don't think the Dunain have any. Uh, well, I don't think they believe in God, or do they? Or if anything, they're trying to insulate themselves from any external influence i feel so much better that you, you guys aren't just like no like know exactly what all that meant because i was reading i read it i don't know how many times and i was like i hope they know what this what's going on because this is confusing the dunyan definitely they believe in the logos which means that There is no like truth to history for past. It's only the here and now, and they can dominate it however they want to, to try to grasp the logos, which is like the perfect self-moving soul. And Kellis is their newest generation, or maybe that, I'm sure they're younger than him, but. I guess the perfect self-moving soul has no room for empathy, as we've seen with Lilith in the first book, right? And just forever afterwards. But I've also, I haven't really seen Kellis lie. Mm, he stretched the truth, I guess. Truth is funny, because it can be like, said multiple, like, you can take multiple meanings from what, like, really vague truths, I guess. So we'll see, I guess, if what Kellis is saying is true. But... Yeah, and it, I, I liked how it, it came, like, in the text it says metaphysics. It, it's almost like preparing you for, okay, get it ready because it's about to get heavy. We got to a part where Kellis was thinking to himself and giving a speech to some people and he talked about how the past does determine things and he does walk on conditioned ground, which was kind of weird. That's the exact opposite of Dunyan belief. I kind of see it as a, a lot of what he says is just what people want to hear or That's what they fun. need to hear. Yeah. To kind of like to motivate them or to, to get them to do what he wants them to do kind of way. And there's a part in it where he's like discussing all of the people and you're like, it's like pro yes. And he talks about pro yes. And then in italics, it, it's just his thoughts about how he dominated him. 
and you just go through all the people and says their faults and says how he saved them and he's like yeah this is how i control you that's just what he's thinking but he also is thinking that he walks on conditioned ground for some reason which usually the dunyan are the ground they condition the ground hmm. I kind of took it as him realizing that there are larger schemes in play that he didn't, he hadn't really considered un up until that moment. Whose schemes the those are, I don't think is necessarily clear at this moment. But I think you might guess. <laughs> or not. Or not, I don't know. Um, uh, but, yeah. sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, no, there was just going back to the dis discussion about souls. There was one um, section in, in chapter nine when Nayor is thinking about madness and what it actually means in this world to be insane. Um, and I think he, he gives this explanation that somehow it like being insane means, or like that every, every person is somehow connected to the outside, but people who are broken, are not able to contain the outside so it spills into the into like our our world and that's how you go insane and you can either be uh possessed by uh the gods so you become a prophet or by the demons so you become nayor i guess <laughs> yeah i think he rep he talks about how um Kind of he he thinks he's kind of figured Kellis out on a one ninety three. Says the the Dunyan nor realized acted as though there were no holes in this in the sorcerer's parchment map, no beads to signify souls, no water to mark the outside. He assumed the, a world where the branching sections of one man could become the roots of another. And this is this elementary assumption had conquered the act of thousands. He had conquered the holy war. Uh, this insight sent Noir reeling, for it suddenly seemed that he rode through two different worlds: one open, where the roots of men anchored them to something beyond, and another where the the self-named roots were entirely contained. What would it mean to be mad in such a closed world? But such a world could not be ingrown and in incident cold and soulless there had to be more that's very confusing so like on one hand you have kellas who's saying that everyone is part of this one soul and then you have Nior saying that the dunyane don't think of anyone as having a soul It's in like there are like two contradictory propositions um, given here. Which one is true? 
or can like can they both be true at the same time i kind of took it as uh, well i don't know if i'm on the right track or not but seeing that there's because Nora talks about there being like two worlds or two um two outlooks I, I i wondered if that was because one is because of the arc i forget what the reference was the well i'm sure we'll talk more about that later but the um I forget what they call it the arc that is in the ground it's Golgotha. the arc the arc yeah. of the spy the, the of the skies womb. yeah so i wondered if they were in, if the skin spies were somehow changing his way of thinking or something I don't have any answers. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone seems to agree that the skin spies don't have any souls. Well, some of them do. Well, except for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was weird how it describes. They're feeling like his... Like there was an extra layer of muscles between his muscles and his bones that he couldn't really feel, but he just could also feel. And I think he said when it popped, he was, or something like that. Hmm. So he feels like he's been taken over, sort of, by a demon. Hmm. Or an angel. Uh, or he is the demon. Or he is an angel. Uh, he just doesn't I feel mean... like he is himself anymore. Yeah. Maybe, but at the same time, I did feel like this was one of the moments where Nayor seemed most self-aware. Like he seemed to be able to reflect on his past with the Dunyane and how, like, meeting Moengus and realizing that um, you know all these like rules that have bound him are true are are are. Comp- are arbitrary um and how he like tortured himself because of this realization um and he even seems to show some regret for how he uh, treated her way mm-hmm. which i thought was very surprising it, it, that's not very that's not a very mannish thing to do it's not very manly it's very weepery <laughs> no One of those skin spies even told him two centuries ago I was Slovenia, I, I know your ways. <clears throat> I mean, one, at least one of the skin spies was around for hundreds of years. And Nair like, liked that they all fought like Sylvandi on horseback. It's their way. Put herself in front of the thousands of arrows, I guess. Whatever yeah, that they been. save him. Yeah, yeah, they save him from the, the volley of arrows. Yeah, they sacrificed her way again. Like the first time for Kellis, this time for New York. You know, it seems to be a pattern. <laughs> but any one of them can just turn into Sir Way again, so it's kind of like it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, Santis finally gets made Exalt General, and then he makes him go out and try to catch Nair, and it just all went bad for him. He's a short-lived Exalt General. 
maybe, maybe Santos will still be around. Who knows? It said he only thought about his burning family once, though, because Contus is going to burn his whole family into non-existence now. Which did not seem like a wise decision by Confess, because ultimately it did lead Sampus to want to betray him because he realized that like, regardless of what he does, his family is going to get burned. So it's it's better alternative for him to, to betray Confess and try to make peace with uh, with Kellis. Um, that was, so that was not very strategic of Confess. And I guess it's kind of showing that uh, being an emperor has, has gotten into his head a little bit. He's, he's not, he's losing his ability to um, empathize. Well, maybe empathize not the right word. I don't think he's ever, ever been able to empathize, empathize uh, but sort of at least predict how people are going to react to things like the threats, like, you know, burning their whole family alive. People usually frown upon that kind of thing, but um, so I guess since we're on the topic of what happened to Somphis and um, that survey, the skin spy survey, from the way I understand it, is she saw him fight and she wanted to couple with him. I guess the so when the Esbinet skin spy comes in and tries to seduce. Callus, they have a, a discussion about kind of what the skin spies are, what their motives are, and I was, what did what did you guys think of that? Because I kind of saw it as they they're about pleasure and desire, and that's how they manipulate. That's how they um, that's their powers that they can do that. I guess there's a lot of information there. Well, first of all, I think I think it was so the Esmanet that was trying to seduce Kellis was the real Esmanet, all but possessed. Um, the oh, Esmanet that was right. the Esmanet that was trying to seduce Akamian was a skin spy. Oh, okay. Um, but I think I would like I would say it's not that. I don't think it's necessarily where they get their power from. It's how the um, Inquiry are able to control them because they know that the, the skin spies are built in a way where like violence and like sex makes them educated, agitated or aroused or whatever word you want to use. Um, so I get that, that that's how they get rewarded hmm. by the, by the architect or by whatever handler they have, I think. <clears throat> yeah, basically violence and sexual arousal are crossed in their brain and intertwined somehow. Same with the strength. There's a lot of like references to that, like they call themselves a race of lovers a lot. 
and all their tools like just want to kill everybody so they can eventually have sex with their dead bodies <laughs> pretty much is what shrink just love to do it's like the murdering just gets them there it's the foreplay for the horrible I don't know, just disregard for humans, which are the old toys of the Inkarai a long time ago. And so all the tools that they use, like use pleasure as a weapon and as like a driving force, the same way Kellis like uses words in order to do everything he wants. That makes sense. Kellis is, it uses words as his tool. Whereas everything the Inkarai built, they built upon like ecstasy and rapture. Hmm. I was kind of, it, that whole section kind of reminded me of a, of a movie where the, the bad guy has this big monologue about how he's, his big plan with the big plan was the whole time before he kills the hero kind of thing. Kind of what it reminded me of. He just all of a sudden, like, let me tell you all about me. He just. It is a quite a bit of exposition. I agree. But I did enjoy getting answers, though. So. Yeah, I mean, some of those things they kind of were hinted at or even mentioned in the previous chapters or even the previous books. But they were, like, since they're mostly like scattered, like one bit here, one bit there, I don't think you can, you might not still be able to put them one and one, one, one together. Um, so I guess, yeah, like, it's, 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 you might call it info, info dumping. Um, but we did, but we did get to learn a little bit more about who the Inquirer are, are and their uh, modus operandi. No, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, um, I was happy to finally find out more about them. I just thought it was kind of. So, so now, now you understand what the Inquirer are? No, but <laughs> a little bit more information. You guys know how big a cubit is? No, what? There was a talk of cubits when they were talking about how big the ark was. Cubits. Yeah, basically they said that the ark is like almost one mile long. A one mile long golden thing that's two thirds underground somehow. Because when it landed, it just blasted through the earth. <clears throat> The, the part that was surprising for me, which I forgot about, is um, the fact that at some point the Ark was apparently alive, like an organic thing. Oh, it was a, like a womb, I think they called it. It's almost like a womb. Like a yeah, yeah they, they, they called it the, the dead womb. Or coyote, I think coyote did. I, yes, I, I can't really, I mean, I, I can't really imagine the, the 
process of ha like having a live ship that somehow breeds its inhabitants. I don't know. It's it's a weird imagery that I'm not really. We learned previously that the Inkari, when they came through the Ark, they were like fleeing from damnation and the outside. So they believe in whatever the outside is. But they want to close it. Yeah, because their souls are super damned. So they need it shut. Otherwise, because they're the lovers. Yeah, they were too much a race of lovers. But it, what did it say? It said the Inkari, like, might have even been, like, like, children of the ship, or maybe even slaves of the ship. So it's real vague, but there's a lot of talk of this golden arc, and for some reason, Seswapa had to fool the old king into going in there. That is suspicious. I mean, first of all, those ship sequences are very scary with all those bones lying around. Um, and second of all, I, I just assumed Siswatha was a good guy. But let's assume, let, let's assume he has good motivation for why he's lying to uh, Naokuyuri. We'll see. I don't know. Do we? I'm afraid. Almost afraid. You guys are pretty good about not spoiling things. I shouldn't ask. I was gonna see if we get answers to all this stuff somewhere, sometime. Not when, but can you? Or are there still things up in the air? Don't answer that. I shouldn't ask. I shouldn't ask. I shouldn't ask. So, for those of you who uh, who listen or watch, a few couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I kind of had like a semi spoiler. That I list, what I what I had heard was about the craft, about the ship or the ark. So anyone who's been listening who was curious what that was, we talked about it after we stopped recording. But that's what that item was, which wasn't much of a spoiler. But no, you know it's there and it's really deep and underground and horrible and shiny golden. It's sci-fi but described through like complete a complete fantasy lens if that makes sense that's why it seems weird when you read it because it's like some people in a fantasy world coming across something real crazy when they don't even have like cars or any like ability to fathom that kind of stuff I mean, I do remember the first time I read these books. Like, it took me a while to realize that there were aliens. It's just, it, it, it didn't click for a while. Uh, and I was like, whoa. I guess this I is a sci-fi. I think well, it's, it's not usually what we expect, you know? So, it's a, it's a it would, without, without, I would have been confused too, for sure. 
Yeah. And also the fact that, I mean, you would just assume that if there is a, if there's a race or civilization that has the technology to build a spacecraft and uh, travel across the universe and somehow they end up, like, even if they end up crashing in, in, in this planet that, that doesn't seem very technologically, like there's not really much technology in this world on this planet like you would think they just they will just take over and completely like immediately but that's not what happened like they've been at war with the inhabitants of erwa for thousands of years and they're still not succeeded like in fact it seems they're losing um so i just find that particular peculiar i remember you bringing up in one of the previous discussions how they said this wasn't the first planet they had crashed on. Remember that? Or the first planet they had came to. I don't know if it said crashed on. I mean, I assume uh, we can only crash once. But I think they've been fleeing the outside, whatever that is, for a while. Maybe it's just new beast that nobody knows what it is but they've been they had fled to other planets before hmm. so maybe they've just been fleeing for so long they were just weak when they got here and a bunch of people who had just learned how to hammer together iron into a sh sharp edge beat them up who knows or did that was that the cause of the first apocalypse, the ship? No, the ship came a long time before the apocalypse, before the first one. Oh, yeah, because it was, yeah. Well, um, they have to have something to do with it, I would assume. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, we're sort of, you can sort I think it was, it, it, it was already mentioned, so I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, the first apocalypse was brought about by human sorceress rediscovering the ship. Some kind of sorceress magic on the ship or powerful creature on, on the ship. Some way to reincarnate Mogforo, the walking whirlwind. To, to whom Kellis seems to be some have some connection with like he talks to him he he he, he says that he talks to the no god in his dreams I think if I remember correctly well he says that to to the uh, to Orang to the architect at the in in the villa when when he possesses Esmanet. They have a conversation about the non-god, and Kellis is like, oh, do you know he talks to me? He's disappointed with you. I, I find it quite, dis I mean, if that's true, and again, I don't know if that's true, um, but if it is, I find it very disturbing that Kellis just casually conversing with the no-god. No It's true. Uh, 
his thoughts were pretty strange during that speech, I thought. And then he says, what, you must dwell in front of the door of your father? And he's talking about how they have to go to Shimei and he's their reward if they can dwell in front of the door of their father. But at the same time, he's got to go to the last tree of Erd. Erdia, I think it was called. You, um, I think so. I think he says, um, uh, every brother is a son and every son must visit my father's house. Yeah, and he says, soon I will darken your door. Yeah. That's ominous. That's real ominous to say about your dad. <laughs> soon I'll brighten your day, dad. Soon I'll darken your door. Come well, on. I mean, of, uh, the official version still goes that he's there to assassinate him. Yep, but then Everett, there's lots of people who think he's the heir, not the assassin. Dad's old and about to die, so someone needs to take over. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, at least the console has, console has finally realized that Kellis is a threat and should not be taken lightly. Um, even though they still seem more preoccupied with um, getting rid of Moangus. Yeah, they, they just want to understand the Darnian. They kind of know it's a threat now, but they it's this, this strange new puzzle piece on the Benjuka board, and they just don't. They need to figure out how it works, because they've been playing the game for thousands of years now and now all their skin spies are all outed they're seeming to be losing all their grips so some piece got introduced to the board that changed all the rules and the, the there was a mention of the skin spies that their faces looked like um this uh crumpix that their, oh, their faces had the shape yeah he had it tied in leather and all of the strings pulled out and it kind of looked like a mockery of the circumfix kind of in a circle and then it was gross on the inside yeah, speaking of skin spice, did you, well, first of all, we, we see Maithanette again after a pretty long time. I think, I don't, did we make guesses about as, as to where he was going when he was leaving Simna? I feel like we might have. Maybe not. I don't know. I think we rounded on no idea. But well, then it's it's quite surprising that the holy shrier of all the places he could go, he would end up in the in the mandate's capital. I 
Like, was he there just to uncover Simus, the skin spy sorcerer, or is there anything more to this? Hmm. Yep. I have no idea. Strange that he would be there. And also, like, were, or did you, did anyone, did anyone guess that Simus was a skin spy? No. I usually don't know until it no. says the thing called uh, whatever you know the thing called uh, what was the first skin spire the one that the one that uh, I always complain about um, Zarsalus oh right yeah uh, I, I mean there is like well I, I mean I'm only bringing it up because there is if you reread the books there is this one I think it's in darkness probably Maybe the word prophet. I, I didn't. I don't remember. But there is a, there is like one passage where Natsera, the 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 main like mandate sorcerer, where he's complaining that he's like because he's old that like he can't see very well and he has, has to have other people read his books for him, and he's jealous of Simus because Simus for some reason seems to have perfect eyesight and doesn't need anyone to uh, you know read read his books. Uh, to him, so hmm. it's. I mean, you couldn't really like figure out from that that he's a skin spy, but it's just like a tiny, tiny detail um, that you can you you'll uncover when you know that he is that. How did he keep track of all this stuff? I don't know. I mean, there are just some, I mean, there are some things, like some details I remember, and there are some big pieces of the story that I completely, uh, completely forget, even if I'd like to remember them. So, there was, um, there was a, after Kellis and Esmond were visited by the skin spy, and Esmond is trying to convince Kellis that she really does love him. Um, there's a passage here on 254 in my, my version, but um, if what men call truth were ever hostage of their desires, how, how could they fail to make slaves of their women, to hide them like a hoarded guild, to feast on them like melons, to discard them like rinds? This is kind of what, what how they view women the this world i mean that whole passage or that whole section was really was pretty hard to read like reading about asmanet being possessed and how it's 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 not just that someone possessed her but also that like they that they made her feel and in some things that felt real to her, even if she was compulsed to feel them, it's just like an extra level of manipulation or oppression, some or like some kind of control. That's I was just it was it's, it was just very nasty. Yeah, their power seems 
to be able to have a lot of control, but more briefly, it seemed like even Kellis was seduced, almost, if that makes sense, when Esnet came to talk to him as not Esnet, but really Esnet. And then he had a, like, real... It was another one of those moments where he feels a feeling he's never felt before. It's like, wait, what is this feeling? <laughs> and then he, like, jumped away and shut it all down and tried to remember that he needed to control the consult. But that conversation was a really important conversation to win because maybe there's other battles that are being fought right now and that was a distraction too right because doesn't during that when Kellis is talking with the skins by doesn't he realize that he's distracting them so they can kill the Cayman and he saves the Cayman yeah there's some parts there, there's a couple, been a couple of, of instances I'm not sure if it's been like this before but Especially in this, these last few chapters. Before, there's been a couple of, of combat times that someone's fighting, and it's hard to tell who is fighting who. Because they just say, like, he stabbed him in the face, or he. Um, he. Because um, so, when the skin spy is, is with. When skin spy is in a commune's room on his bed and he thinks that it's Esmanet but Kellis comes in and kills it I wasn't sure who was the person stabbing the skins I, I assumed it wasn't the Kamian but it's hard to tell who who's stabbing it, who it was some general what. that died I think some general stabbed him and then the skins but still killed the guy before he died I was way off that was the one thing that Kellis didn't expect to happen. That was an unexpected occurrence. He knew everything else that was going to happen, he said. But, but he's, he still put the general in Akamian's room. So he knew that they were coming for Akamian. Hmm. I think. That's, that's what I understood. Was like why other like, otherwise why the why would the uh, the the general would why, why why would he be there instead of a commune? Yeah, and he also for some reason I guess thinks like the mandate are going to be sailing up the coast towards him for some reason, right? Just see that, read that. Tell us things. That the, some mandate ships were going to be sailing for Shimei, and he really needs to conquer Shimei before the mandate ships get there for some reason. Yeah. Well, he, he gets a message from Moengas that the mandate is coming. And I guess we can deduce that they're coming with Mathanet since. Hmm. The last time we saw the mandate, maintenance was there as well. And something snapped with him, came in in these chapters. Now he's like the only one that's not enamored with Kellis that's around still. 
can tell if he's taking note. He's staring at me. Still staring at me. Does Kellis annoy either one of you sometimes that he's, I don't know, he's like, um, I don't know, like he, um, I want to see him fail or I want to, I want to see him. I want to see him punch in the face. (laughs) I don't know. I I, I mean, I like the characters. Sometimes I think he's, he's too powerful. He's like a Superman. He's, it's, you know. There's thousands of him in one city somewhere. There's a more powerful him sitting in a behind an ivory tower somewhere, or no, beneath a tree, Some, somewhere What's by a tree. He needs a kryptonite. I yeah. do enjoy reading about Kellis, but at the same time, I get so angry when he's manipulating people, especially the people I care about. Um, and I do also, so I do also want to see him fail, but he's had a, uh, he's been pretty successful so far. So we'll see how things turn out. We still don't know what the thousand fold thought is either. He alluded to it once more, but is that when he talks about he took the shortest path? And then he, I think he mentions something very vague about, about it. But. Yeah. There's still a little bit more to read. One more week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Has, has to be done next week. Feels like it's all like building up. Yeah. Un- unless you want Simmons. to do. Shima. Unless you want to do another... Well, the audiobook says Shima, so I'm very confused about the pronunciation. Shima. Shima. Shima um, sounds shiny, and it's apparently a, a porcelain white city, so maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Well, I, I was going to say, uh, yeah, one last one last uh, episode for for this book. Unless you want to do another episode, which is for the appendices. Yeah, you know, I was looking at that because I I was looking and see how much we have left. That's how much we have left for those of you watching. And uh, but half of that is the appendix because there's only a, another hundred pages or so in the actual book, and then it goes to um, the. the the glossary. So, there's a lot in there. We could. I mean, there's only a couple of pages. I don't know. That's it's a lot. It's a big one. There's some stuff in there that's cool. But... Good. Maybe you can read them, Steve, and then ask us about the things you're unclear about. I, I see what you're doing there, Katarina. Why don't you read it and tell us what you have questions about? <laughs> very, very smooth, very smooth. I'm sure I'll have a lot of that. Um, anyway, what did you think of um, 
Zainima's dying. It like did I mean it it felt very sudden to me. Like he I mean he, he wasn't doing well mentally, but he seemed to be he didn't seem to be sick the last time we saw him, I think. So it mm. it, it did come as a little bit of a surprise that he was now on his deathbed. Yeah, he, um, I, I kind of just took, I kind of just thought he was kind of th things have caught up to him, and um, yeah. But I have a, a question, maybe related, may or may not be related. So um, about another blind person. But what did you think, Daniel? Was that were you surprised? Did you care? happened suddenly and it was I think a good thing he was just miserable he was a miserable drunk and a mis he, just he was a miserable blind and a miserable drunk so he was just doubly miserable and that's kind of what snapped the Camian because Camian's like Telling Kellis what you couldn't save Zinn, and then he just stopped listening to him after that. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I think for Kellis not saving him or not helping him in some way, I kind of I kind of took it as that's something that he wanted Akamian to go through to pull his strings somehow. Because everything Kellis does is for a reason, right? Does or doesn't do is for a reason. I think that's safe to. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. I guess I. It does seem suspicious, considering how much hold he has over other people. That like, if he just talked to Zainimas, I'm sure that it would have helped. So why didn't he? So it must have been intentional. But then it seemed to piss Akamian off and trigger him. So now he doesn't... Like he, he seems to have at least lost some of his faith that he previously had in Kellis. So why would Kellis do that? I don't know. How Daniel's trying to, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> the uh, there was a a blind man that whispers something in Kellis's ear, that makes Kellis change. Uh, he kind of changes he changes his approach a little bit. I wondered was that blind man because he and then he's he kills him right after. The blind man. Um, so I wondered was that a skin spy. That was manipulating. Kellis. In italics, when Kellis is thinking, when he's given the final speech, and he's saying we are war to everybody, trying to make, trying to get them all riled up, he thinks what that guy said, and oh. the guy said, "Your father awaits you." There's but one tree in. What was it called? Yerdia? Somewhere near Shima. Yer or Shime. Yerdia, I think. 
So that's what he whispered. So apparently his father awaits him, and that's why he's thinking that he will darken his door soon. And he also tells him about about the the mandate coming, right? I think so. I don't remember. Nice I, I think that's that's what freaks Kellis out. That's what he says out loud, not what he whispers. Because he draws Kellis's attention over to like kneel next to him. I don't remember what he says to get him over there exactly. No, he whispered that his father awaits him. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think he mentioned the mandate, but it might be wrong. Um, but anyway, I think since he's uh, somehow connected to Wangas and he's also blind, I guess it's safe to assume that he is a Kisharam. I would guess probably not, but I don't know. He's definitely associated with them, but I assume that in order to like they said they were like killing all blind people, so in order to make it that far, he wouldn't have, couldn't have had the mark. Otherwise, someone would have seen him. Who knows who? But the the Gisharim don't have the mark. Oh, do that's they? right. You're correct. Forgot. Yeah, I was trying to find it, but I couldn't. I just found a couple of quotes and italics, but I couldn't find it. I didn't realize that was what the blind man told him. There's the part where Kellis, when he's explaining the way magic words work, he like explains why this souk like came into existence and why it's kind of like why they blind themselves yeah. so that they can have more meaning because they don't have like the, the sight of the object to detract from the meaning. They live only in the world of meaning. They're just an eyeless group of pale white cave dwelling mages or something. It describes where they live, actually, and I forgot what they called it. Basically, like a cancerous mark in China that they need to go and destroy. That's the part that they need to destroy the most. One part they're going to go in and try to save first, the part, the old part. Who knows how it's all going to work. Well, the Scarlet Spires seem to be freaking out, that's for sure. And I did like um, that when they were approaching Shema or Shema or whatever, that they were burning the trees so they wouldn't be able to make siege weapons out of the trees. They got, I thought that was, that was pretty neat. But they, didn't they bring some with them? At the end of chapter 13, I think they were assembling them, the ones that they brought. To get ready, 
So this is a pretty good chapter to finish on because we're right at the cusp of whatever's about to happen. Yeah, we ended up on a cliffhanger. Michaelis isn't going to lead him into the war, so who knows what he's planning. Yeah, I don't what know do that he's... he's planning. I think Kellis is looking after Kellis, and he has his own. He has his own goals and doesn't care about what happens to the rest of them. Maybe that's a diversion for what he wants to do. It seemed to me like he wanted the Holy War to succeed, even though he's not going to there with them because he has more important business. Um, he still. It seemed like he was anxious about them. Uh, prevailing against the Kianine. But he certainly has other plans than just conquering Shima. Yeah, that's his cool new weapon, and he wants to keep it. <laughs> he tempered it for a long time through the desert and through famine and through flood and worse yeah um well i didn't, I didn't even think they'd make it so i have no idea what's going to happen they're not there yet well they're at the gates right and they're pretty close yeah they're not inside but what did they say they lost their longest spear they had like the outriders that were kind of going and seizing all the places first and then they got trapped and all killed said like 20 of them survived i think in the end well those are related to sabon so good riddance <laughs> i know we couldn't go on i know we couldn't go one week without your favorite character sabon sabon forever he is out of the way. Phyllis has got most of his nuisances out of as far out of the way as you can. Seems like things have worked out pretty well for him. Kind of this is where he planned it. He planned that it would be, and here we are. Yeah, he got. He managed to get Confis uh, and Neor away which are which were probably the only two people that would be able to resist him or resist his influence um everyone seems to be convinced believe that he's a prophet they're willing to die for him um he has found his uh he's found a vessel for his dunyan sons Which is a horrible thing to think about, Esmenes. A vessel? Yeah, there's one part where he's literally like, he, he's thinking about like how, how difficult it is for Esmenes because she's a woman. And then he's like, well, here I am, you know, picking her because she would be make a great boom. Yeah, you know, he sees people as people, though. Kellis means to end tools, right? 
means to an end. Even Trumpus has some reflection on being violated in this chapter. He's thinking about seed across his back and how bad he wants to kill Nair now. <laughs> and then <laughs> Nair escapes. Yeah, but at this at the same time I appreciate how is he how he's able to interpret the what happened in a way that makes him seem unconquerable like he i think he says something along the lines of well i am one of the gods so is this how the gods test me he, he actually says there's a god in the end he's like you're a god too i see it now <laughs> kindred souls yeah so I was just sleeping with another god, I guess. Less, less of a violation. It's tolerable. He still was going to kill him, so I think. I hope so. Oh, he escaped. Nair's gone now. When? Uh, I hope... Uh... But Compass was mad. Well, he's he's ruining his plans because he's the he's the only one um, who knows about who knows that the Nansor haven't left uh, or have left Jokta and are marching on Chima. Yep, we found out that secret has lasted through SNS talks with the council. I forgot. Is it Wath Jarl, the guy that's there, that's being influenced right now to report back to Kellis? And... I forget his name. Is he? Is uh, what is he? Is he? What do you mean? He's spying on Asmanet? Or no, the what? guy that Kellis left with Nair. To be like the, so we could talk to him and in his dreams is telling it he's being like pulled by the cans of compulsion to tell Kellis that everything's going fine, or to oh, tell okay, whoever right. the middleman is. So Esmet still thinks everything's going fine because one of the schoolmen is being compelled to say everything's fine currently. Hmm. That's supposed to be there, like for sure, Link. And I think Esmet at one point like got word that Nair is still there, and they're all being tight-lipped about it because he's doing horrible things to Confis. They think maybe just because he's being like a horrible dictator. I mean, it's kind of what he tried to do. Um, he's supposed to it, kill him. It, That's supposed to be the word coming back. Consciousness somehow dead. True. True. Uh, but it, yeah, it did not work out in the end. Yeah. So, anything else you guys can uh, think of? Mm -hmm. I came in, lived through the assassination attempts. So, I guess he's got to keep. 
keep teaching Kellis to he used the word hate when he was thinking about it. Which is weird. <laughs> well he also used the word love right next to it because he just loves him and hates that he took that away. So he's going through some stuff kind of like Nair was going through some stuff. What did Nair say at one point? He said, he murdered my father with words, consumed my heart with revelation. He set me free. So he's saying like he murdered my father, but he set me free. Even like at the same time, like saying why they're so evil and why he wants to kill them because they set him free. I think that's pretty much the uh, dilemma or conflict within Neur that he's been battling with the whole time. The fact that he he is kind of free of the ways of the Sclavendi, but it's in some ways he he still is Sclavendi. He can't really detached himself from the culture completely and it's and it's driving him insane as he himself has admitted so um, it's very it's very contemplative in, in 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 this chapter the metaphysics stuff i'm i think i'm gonna have to read a few more times over that stuff is pretty <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not my first time reading this book, and I, I, I and I re, I read it, I reread those passages a couple of times, and I'm still confused. So, you know, don't be tarting yourself. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm used to being confused. So okay. Philosophers have been debating like what here really is for thousands of years. Here to you is not here to me. Mm. How can people be here together? Which is a lot of semantics. And I think Akanian even yells at him. He's like, that's all semantics. And maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it's not. Does God really exist in this world? The more I read, the more confused I am about that. That I think I, I think I mentioned earlier when I first read these books, I just assumed it was all lies, because everyone seems to believe different things. The gods don't really show up, or doesn't seem to be really affecting what's happening on the ground. But like the more you like the more you read about it, the more unclear that becomes. And the people of the world definitely seems to believe that gods are real. Mm-hmm. Even the more cynical one, like even a Kamian believes he is damned. Even people like Zerius or Confus, they do seem to believe that the gods exist. What about your favorite person, Sabon? Sabon care? Sabon care. Sabon cares about Sabon. 
he, he Saman believes in the gods when it's convenient for him. That's, that's true. <laughs> and that so is true possible. that most of the people in this story do, in some sense, believe in the god. It seems like some of them believe in many gods. Some of them believe in a dead god. No god. Some of them believe in the no god. Some of them are non men. There's a lot going on. I would, if I didn't know that there was another series, I would be a little bit worried about all this being wrapped up in 100 pages. So, there's a lot. If there was just this trilogy, then I'm assuming a lot of this will carry over to the other series. I'm curious how you're going to think this is as a wrap-up. I don't know that it'll be See. much of a wrap-up. I, I don't know. It's it's a lot to... Um, I guess if we didn't have the second series, would you be satisfied with this trilogy? If this is all we have, these three that's, books. That's a, that's a next week question when it's over. When right, there's no fair. spoilers to happen. That's all right. That answer comes. All right. Yeah, we'll answer last uh, next week. Um, but I do have an answer. Okay. I'm definitely excited to read these last these last few chapters. It's been a while since I've read them. Hmm. There was a lot of revelation in these chapters that I can't discuss. We'll talk about way, way, way later. And it's <laughs> my I can't say anything. Kind of has to do with like how skin spies imitate humans. And what are imitations? It'll all come up. Even I'm confused now. Okay. There's definitely a part where the Inkarai, when they're talking about uh, strength and they're talking about skin spies, they're saying like it was made in their image. That's why it's they're all like also races of lovers. That's why it, ecstasy is like like murder, murder and ecstasy are like intertwined to them because they're made in the image of the Inkarai or the what did you call them at the beginning what does the synthes like to be called sometimes the architect hmm. oh, I'm looking forward to next week then because <laughs> lots of Lot to talk about. Is this the book that everyone says blows their mind? Or is that one of the books in the second series? Um in what way? Darkness? Writing no, prose? In a no, in a surprising way. I I think it's the fourth book in the next in the second series that everyone talks about just like um, we'll see really if surprises. There's some surprise. Here. If I had a guess, I would say that 
there's been a lot of surprises already and there will probably be a couple more surprises here but definitely the last few hundred pages of the second apocalypse is there's some surprises hmm. and we'll get Katarina, there. Have you finished your re your read of the second series? Are you still are you in the white? Uh, what is it called? The white something. Uh, I have. Catching up too fast. Yeah. I have finished the white light warrior, but I think I'm stopping there for now, and I'll just wait for us to catch up together. It's mm -hmm. it's too much. I I mean I have barely enough time to keep up with this read along, cramming another book. Another Baker book in between is just proved close to impossible. And I find myself not enjoying it as much because I just like there was just a lot of other things I had like other things I had to read as well. So I think I'll just read it slowly with you guys. And at least Daniel will get some pleasure of me guessing and things are going to turn out to be completely untrue I'd say the first book of the second series is a really big surprise as far as the writing style it has a different feel Baker like changes tone a little bit in it I, I, I feel like in general I mean I've read two of the four books but I did feel like the tone changes or just the the way the story is told changes from the first it, trilogy. It's still dark. Don't get it wrong. There's still a lot of darkness in there, but I can't even describe what it is that changes. Maybe maybe when we get there, we'll talk about it. They say like it's a lot more Tolkien-esque and, and less like Dune. Definitely like Right now we're following the Holy War and they're marching to Shima and they'll either get there or they won't. There are definitely more trees in the second series and fewer deserts than in, than in this one, which it's not actually something that I'm very, I'm too happy about. <laughs> um, kind of homages, homages to classic fantasy, sort of. Is there a Tom Bombadil singing in the second series? Hmm. <laughs> in the most grim dark way, I would say yes. <laughs> in the most grim dark way, I'll even tell you who it is when we get there. Right. I, I, sort of, maybe. I I could see that connection. There are definitely some references to um, to the Lord of the Rings that I that are very mm -hmm. obvious. Even if I mean, I I read Lord of the Rings when I was nine, and I haven't reread it since. And I, you know, still picked up. The, I mean, you you don't even need to read the books. Just if you've seen the movies, I think it becomes mm -hmm. quite clear very early on. They're very different too, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, no, it's still there's Baker. no hope later in these books. There, there was hope in Lord of the Rings. It's a book full of hope. 
So imagine just the hopeless Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I, I definitely I definitely enjoyed uh the judging eye more than I enjoyed the fellowship. But I did read the fellowship about fifteen years ago, maybe more. So uh, that might not be a fair comparison. Been a little while. Cool. So looking forward to next week. Just about a hundred chapters left, and then I'll bring some questions for both of you for the new appendix. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking so, forward to them. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. I'll try so, to be more prepared. I was much less prepared than I wanted to be this week. What's, what's with you two and being unprepared this week? What's going on? Uh, um, I mean, I'm walking chaos. <laughs> what it is. No, it's okay. I have no good excuse either. I'll let you slide this it, time, I guess. It just ended up being a lot denser than I thought. There was a lot. When you talk about metaphysics, it just gets deep. I'd assume if we wanted, we could go back and go over that chapter of fear and souls. And we could probably talk for an hour just about that in the Bible and the Quran and the yin and the yang reincarnation. I might, I might need to do some reading before we do that, like some additional reading. That would be a oh, fun conversation to have. Or you would call Moses Jesus on accident? Yeah. <laughs> or a, a mule or horse? Yeah. But I, I, at least people are listening, so it, yeah. Yeah, that's someone's out there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but everyone's everyone's been pretty good about it. But, they have. It's been yeah. fun hearing people's thoughts. Frank's comments were cool. Yeah, we have a few commenters every week. And with the podcast, it's a little bit different because there's no comment section. So it's sometimes it feels like you're yelling into the void. But um, Reddit's been really, um, the Baker Reddit's been really good, uh, been really supportive. And uh, we have some people who watch on YouTube every week too. So that's nice. Have a little group. And there are a couple of people reading with us that have told me. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, kudos to everyone who's stuck with us so far. It's, uh, you know, that's remarkable that you're willing to bear me, bear me rambling about these things. Yeah, I do I appreciate that. I think it's fun to have someone to like to bounce ideas off of and, you know, kind of discuss with. So it's pretty neat. I'm sure most uh, of them want to scream into the scream at us sometimes. Correct us. Or um, add a no joke, but they can't. Yeah. Oh, they can check uh, check the forums and let us know if they want to join us. Um, so, but. cool. So, uh, Daniel, if someone wants to get in, if someone doesn't want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to do that? In the YouTube comments of these videos, I guess, or on the page chewing forums, which now has a chat and snow everywhere. Yeah, it's snowing. And uh, Katerina, where's the best place to find you? Uh, you can also find me on the Patreon forum. And I'm also on Instagram at The Errands. I will 
most certainly reply to your messages within the span of a few months. Um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm so good. So up to, up to, up to speed to everything. It's a lot to keep track of. But I do appreciate I do appreciate everyone listening, commenting, or even not commenting. Um, yeah. Cool, everybody. Well, uh, we will see everyone next week uh, for the end of the thousand full thought. Let's see what kind of uh, kind of fun questions and kind of fun conversations we could get into next week. So cool, everybody. We'll see you. Uh, by this time next week, we'll be done with this one and spoil the whole first trilogy. It's exciting. So, well, cool. thanks everybody. <laughs>